Welcome to the Real Estate Syndication Show. Whether you are a seasoned investor or building a new real estate business, this is the show for you. Whitney Sewell talks to top experts in the business. Our goal is to help you master real estate syndication. And now your host, Whitney Sewell. This is your daily real estate syndication show. I'm your host, Whitney Sewell. Today, our guest is Angad Guglani. Angad started in the real estate brokerage business as a 19-year-old college student at New York University, launching off-campus apartments, and currently has a portfolio of 70 single-family houses, two multifamily buildings, totaling 12 residential units, and a self-storage facility. Today, they wholly own $6 million-plus portfolio that generates cash flow of approximately $25,000 per month with no outside equity capital. And so, Angad has a technique that's different than most we talk about on the show. And so, I'm looking forward to this conversation, looking forward to learning more about this technique. So, give the listeners a little more about what you're doing, Angad, and how you got started in the real estate business. Thanks so much, Whitney. As far as how I got started, I was in college at uh, the Stern School of Business at NYU and kind of chanced upon an opportunity to start a brokerage firm to rent apartments to students, or really a brokerage team because it wasn't a firm. Anyhow, it was a great opportunity at the time and I was able to hire a bunch of my friends to run around and rent apartments to our other friends and other college kids. And we did pretty well. As the owner, I was making about six figures a summer. I was like 19, 20, 21. And I was saving all of that money, so which kind of gave me a head start coming to school. So with that money saved up, I was really looking for an investment opportunity because I really always wanted to be a real estate investor, real estate developer. Unfortunately, not so many opportunities capitalized cities, I would say, in the country, if not the world. Uh, real estate here trades at like three and a half cap rates. So uh, not a lot of opportunity for someone starting out. So I chanced upon Camden, New Jersey, because I had a friend from Philadelphia. And he said, Camden, you know, is up and coming. There's $2.5 billion, $3 billion of government money going there in the next five to 10 years. And at the time, it seemed a little crazy. Camden had a pretty tough reputation. Crime rate was pretty high. Thankfully, it didn't deter me for getting started. I partnered with two of my friends, and uh, we got our first single-family rental in 2016. From there, I ended up buying my friends out. So it was just me. And in 2017, I bought five houses, 2018, about 35. And this year, we're on track to do 65 residential units. And next year, we're targeting about 200 purchases. Now, give me those numbers again. The first year you bought how many? First, you're technically one, right? You okay, start one. Somewhere. <laughs> yeah, all right. But the next year, you bought what, three? One single family house. And then in 2018, 35 houses. Well, I say houses, but, but units, right? We bought a multifamily building last year, so it was five units and, and 30 okay. single family rentals. This year, we're on track to hit 65 units purchased. I love just how you're scaling, how you're thinking about scaling, and even the goals of, you know, just, you know, I mean, really, you're doubling or more. But even going back to, you know, being the 19-year-old that was hustling, making six figures in the summer, I mean, that's impressive. Most are not going to be doing that during their summer. You know, so, but that has set you up. I mean, I was just thinking about like what that did for you <laughs> and just having the mindset to save that capital, like to really hustle, but then to save that money. Cause that's not what most 19 or 20 year olds are looking to do. I mean, what gave you the passion or even the thought process and the skill to want to pursue something like that as a 18, 19 year old? 
Sure. So I've always had kind of an entrepreneurial bug. And that's, a, again, it's a big blessing being in New York City, being at NYU. There's a lot of opportunity here, right? So that is a blessing. You know, the curse is it's very difficult to invest here, but there is a blessing. It might be easier to make money here than it is in, in other cities. But I always had an entrepreneurial bug. In my senior year of high school, I was buying and selling Rolex watches. I was another crazy little business. But I always had that hustle and kind of found my niche in real estate. I guess really what put me in real estate was my dad said, you're making a lot of money buying and selling Rolexes. Why don't you buy and sell bigger things? Buildings, for example. And that's kind of what inspired me to, to get in real estate. No one in my family does real estate, but uh, I just always knew that it was an industry where if you have a skill of kind of the hustle, the the energy, you could be successful. Congratulations to you even now. And I just, it's going to be great to see, you know, what you achieve, you know, just in the next few years. So hats off to you for making those decisions at 19, 20, even before then. Look what it's done for you already. And, and just to have that mindset to hustle and to save that capital and now to invest it. And so now going forward, okay, so, you, you know, you and I talked a little bit about the show and about, you know, how, you know, most, most the listeners are looking to scale this business. They're looking to, you know, raise capital and syndicate deals, but you have a little different philosophy to that, right? And so would you explain that a little bit to the listeners? I like to say sometimes, think small to think big, meaning I like to do a lot of small deals at scale and that ends up equaling more or greater than what you would as the investor make on a big deal. Why? Because these smaller deals, first of all, you can use your own capital because you're playing with a lot less money when you're doing a small, like a single family rental deal or a five unit building, right? You can use a lot of leverage. There are a lot of hard money lenders out there. There are a lot of line and credit companies that will give you 85% loan to cost leverage on a purchase, right? So you can take a little bit of equity and really push it. And if you do enough of these and you can fully cash out refi, you can get all your equity back and, and just keep, you know, the burn models as, as we Okay. So, you know, I I know a lot of listeners are thinking, oh, wait a minute, you know, like in the apartment business, we always think, okay, you know, we want larger buildings because we can scale faster, you know, and it's easier to manage all these units under, you know, one roof or at least on one property. How do you manage all these properties and how do you, you know, what does that look like? So we have a third party management company. We're their largest client. It's pretty nice. It's almost like having a W-2 employee, but you're not. I mean, it's an independent contractor. They're an independent entity to you. But being that you're their largest customer, you do have some leverage there and they take care of your account first. And why, you know, we focus on single family houses and how do you do this at scale? Well, single family houses, much, much harder to manage an apartment building. Totally agree. But if you have concentration, and keep in mind, most of these houses were built in tracks. They're kind of similar, right? So if you buy enough of the same types of houses in the same area, you can almost scale up that way, right? And just treat it like multifamily. Again, multifamily, there's much more efficiencies and much more scale that you can get to. Single families trade at, there's more of a spread. Meaning if you're buying it on foreclosure, you're buying it on auction, you're buying a short sale or a, a distress situation, you'll get a much better deal on a single family than you would on a multifamily. My guess for that is because there's a lot of funds, a lot of syndicators, very experienced and smart people targeting multifamily when single family is more mom and pop. So a lot of that makes sense, you know, and I've heard those arguments. And then, and so what about, how do you plan to scale? How do you plan to keep scaling? Are you buying many properties at one time or is it like you've just created systems to really increase the, the leads? So we definitely have created systems, systems being like just a unified way to look at the data, right? Between the property addresses, you know, how much work it needs, where the seller's coming from. 
So we basically have eight or nine different sources of deals. And we look at it on a monthly basis. We try to buy five to 10 doors a month. And it kind of naturally scales in a way that you, you have a crew that's going to go out and look at each house and, and figure out how much work it needs. You'll have a construction crew that's going to fit each of these houses out. Again, you're going to be buying things in bulk and working in bulk. And when you're renting them, I mean, also the, the leasing guy is going to be able to show five of your houses, 10 of your houses to, to potential tenants. So it almost like backs into like a multifamily style of operation. So buying eight or nine doors per month, and you mentioned yeah, eight or nine different sources for leads as well. Could you give us a few of those leads that are the sources for leads that have paid off the most for you? Sure. I mean, pretty much the same thing as anyone else, right? You know, there's the county, the courthouse step for closure. There's the online auction websites like auction.com, HubZoo, whatnot. There's realtors, obviously, that's, you know, realtors that bring you off-market deals. That's like the best. And we kind of have a reputation since we're one of the most active, if not the most active buyers in our zip codes. So we'll get deals like in the state sale, for example. We got the best deal we did this year was in the state sale. And the realtor came to us because they know we can close. And they needed something that could close. And then, you know, we buy from you know, the local asset managers and local uh, REO brokers. So we'll try to work with a bank and just buy their entire inventory in the zip code. Uh, and you get preferential pricing for that. We have a direct-to-consumer, or people call it wholesale, but I call it direct-to-consumer, where we you know, send mailers and do cold calls and whatnot. You know, that's fruitful. I'm probably forgetting a few, but those are the main ones. Tell me about how you have scaled your team. You know, while your, your business has grown really fast, tell me about, about what's happened to your team. So we're somewhat subjugated, which is kind of nice. So there's asset management, right? Which is property management, construction, leasing, that day-to-day, right? That's like on one end. Being in New York, the team here can't really do any of that. So it's actually somewhat nice because you're able to think totally differently than your, your on-the-ground team. And it's definitely difficult, but it allows you to focus just on the three drivers of the business, which is acquisition, right? asset management, which is making sure your property manager is doing what they're supposed to be doing, and refi or dispositions, right? So on the ground here in New York, you know, I basically make most of the decisions and I have an assistant and I hire interns from, from Stern where I went to school. <laughs> it's cheap, right? You don't have to pay a hundred thousand bucks a year. That's a New York starting salary for someone who does this type of work. You can hire interns <laughs> for, for, for 15, 20 bucks an hour. You'll get what six figure earner would be making or that level of work. Tell me a little more about how you're finding the interns and how, you know, you choose them for the specific position that you're looking for. I've heard other people like want to do that, but you know, are trying to figure out how to how to do that. Sure. So I guess I'm a, a bit lucky in the fact that I graduated from, from school only two years ago. So I'm somewhat, you know, know people there. And I also I just got invited to speak at the real estate club. So I'm pretty involved in still in the community in that way, you know, we'll just post a job on the career net and get applications or post a job at the club, certain real estate group, like their network and, and get people to apply. It's not rocket science, right? I mean, as far as the work goes, there's underwriting deals. On single family, that's a very simple process. You just look at the rents, your net operating income and three comps. And that's you pretty much know if it's a good deal or a bad deal, right? Anyone can do it. You're doing loan applications, which is also pretty standardized. I mean, we have everything's on Google Drive. So you can figure out, you know, how our loan looked the last time we did it and you just basically, you know, reformat the documents. And you have like presentations, right? So we're trying to work with the cities that we buy properties in directly. Interns can make presentations. They can look at the stuff you've done in the past and kind of change it around. Awesome. But yeah. They're not actually interfacing with the uh, the deal sources. Are you using virtual assistants as well? Or is it mostly interns and, and actual uh, local teammates? 
So I do have a virtual assistant that does scraping of data. So she scrapes a lot of the opportunities that get sent our way and puts them in a standardized data format so we can generate an offer really quickly. So we do use a virtual assistant. We got her from onlinejobs.ph. And then I do have another VA you could say, that does cold calling for the direct-to-consumer business. And really, once we get to scale, scale to me is about 100 doors, and hopefully we get there this year. I want to bring on a full-time acquisitions manager. And then the next hire would be a full-time asset manager. So that would get me kind of out of the the day-to-day. And so you're doing both of those positions now? Unfortunately, yes. <laughs> and they're very different, right? I mean, if you're on acquisitions, you're more of a salesman. You're trying to sell yourself to the deal. If you're asking management, you're, I guess, a bad cop. You're <laughs> you're looking at uh, the numbers and figuring out what went wrong or if everything's going right, I guess you don't have much work. So where do you see this business, say, you know, five years from now? So yeah, the goal next year is to buy 200 doors between multifamily and single family. And then the year after that, I actually want to expand into other markets and find markets that have the same dynamics, meaning a lot of distressed property, good local income, so you have tenants that can pay their rents, and find markets that have been neglected, so you can become the biggest buyer pretty quickly, and then go around the country and just try to roll it up and buy three, 400 doors in each market. And eventually, hopefully, there's some sort of institutional exit, because as you know, the single-family rental business, I mean, a lot of REITs are doing it now. So maybe exit to one of those or roll it up into a REIT myself. So really build systems, build processes, scale it, and hopefully you can exit. That's awesome. And so tell me, what's been the hardest part of this for you so far? I know, like, you know, you're selling Rolexes and you moved into real estate and then you've, you've scaled, you know, one property, <laughs> then what, five, and then, you know, now you're hoping to do 200. So what's been the hardest part of this real estate business for you so far? I guess the hardest part is a few things, right? Number one is it's all new. Every day I'm learning new things, every day I'm making mistakes. So that's definitely difficult. Number two, I guess it's just entrepreneurial like fatigue, right? For the first couple of years of just me, that was pretty depressing. <laughs> but you know, it helped, right? Because now I own all the equity, right? Otherwise I'd have, a, I'd have less of a PFS, you could say. And then I guess that's really it. Just lack of personal experience, not having anyone to really rely on to tell you what the right answer is and and just uh, the difficulties of starting any small business. How do you get past the entrepreneurial fatigue like you're talking about? How do you push through that? Having friends that are also going through the same thing, that helps. It's also a very social business. So, I mean, it is lonely because it's only you, but it's also you're on the phone all day with, you know, your realtor and your property manager and other people. So it's not like you're holed up. But yeah, I think that was able to do it. But now, I mean, having done it, I definitely feel like the only way forward is really building a big team because we know a great business is ever just a one-man shop for too long. So how are you prepared for this potential downturn that everybody's talking about? Yes, we've had a 10-year run, I guess. How are we preparing? It's just stockpiling a cash reserve. Like Our goal is to get to one year of debt service and OPEX stashed away as cash. That means if there's ever a downside, you know, we could still pay the fixed expenses and keep going. Aside from that, I mean, we're a bit insulated, right? Because we have the cheapest housing product in the area. People always need a place to live. So if our tenants aren't living in one of our houses, where are they going to go? I don't know. What's a way that you've improved your business recently, though, that we can apply to ours? I would say getting a standardized data format. Because uh, we have a ton of different data floating around any real estate business, especially single family. You have you know, your potential leads, your stuff that you're trying to refi, your stuff that you're maybe going to sell, stuff that you're managing actively. 
having one standard like data tape format across all of your different aspects of your business so you can easily drag and drop a property in, uh, that saved us a tremendous amount of time. Is there a system you use for that or software or something like that? Pretty low tech, actually. Just Google Drive. Okay. Everything in our business is on Google Drive. Our property manager uses Appfolio, which has been incredible. But he's always been on that. I think everyone should use some sort of property management software. But as the person that does asset management acquisitions, to me, it's just Google Drive, keeping all your contracts in one place, all your leads in one place. What would you say is the number one thing that's contributed to your success? I don't know. I guess just trying stuff, right? <laughs> What's the worst that could happen? Everything, you always start from square one. So if you can just keep trying, keep pushing. And I guess one thing I started doing this year is reaching out uh, to more people. So I got lucky enough to get connected with some people in, in the market. We invest in Camden that are uh, that know a lot more than I do, and they've helped me out at the asset management level and and kind of planning for growth. So just reaching out to people, number one. And number two, just keep trying and failing. No, that's great advice. Everybody gets started somewhere, right? Tell us though how you like to give back. So our goal is to donate 10% of net operating income back to the cities that we invest in. So right now we're only in Camden, but let's say we move to another city next year. We want to give back 10% of net operating income. Right now we're not doing it. Why? Because <laughs> we have 30 construction projects and cash is tight. But uh, once the portfolio gets stabilized, it's going to be definitely a goal. Not a goal. It's a mandatory to give back 10% of NOI. I appreciate you sharing that. I love that goal. And so tell the listeners how they can get in touch with you. Sure. If you have anything to reach out about, please do. My email is ag at cooperacq.com, C-O-O-P-E-R-A-C-Q.com. And the website, again, is cooperacq.com. So feel free to drop a note there and uh, hope to hear. Awesome. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me, Whitney. Appreciate it. Don't go yet. Thank you for listening to today's episode. I would love it if you would go to iTunes right now and leave a rating and written review. I want to hear your feedback. It makes a big difference in getting the podcast out there. You can also go to the Real Estate Syndication Show on Facebook so you can connect with me and we can also receive feedback and your questions there that you want me to answer on the show. Subscribe too so you can get the latest episodes. Lastly, I want to keep you updated. So head over to lifebridgecapital.com and sign up for the newsletter. If you're interested in partnering with me, sign up on the contact us page so you can talk to me directly. Have a blessed day and I will talk to you tomorrow. Thank you for listening to the Real Estate Syndication Show brought to you by LifeBridge Capital. LifeBridge Capital works with investors nationwide to invest in real estate while also donating 50% of its profits to assist parents who are committing to adoption. LifeBridge Capital making a difference, one investor and one child at a time. Connect online at www.lifebridgecapital.com for free material and videos to further your success.